Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of vacations that are just too cool to fit into one episode recaps. Oh yeah. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling, and today is part two of my trip recap. So let's just dive right into our pre-recorded content insert here. <laughs> okay, so the next day I took a train to Hiroshima. And the first thing I did was eat some Hiroshima-style okonomiyaki. First thing you do every place is try the local cuisine. Yeah. You're totally right to do that. Yeah. There's actually a place in Hiroshima called Okonomimura, which is like Okonomi Village. And it's kind of a tower with multiple floors of just a bunch of different okonomiyaki restaurants. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went in there, tried one of those out. And what's okonomiyaki again? Okonomiyaki is a little savory pancake is the way it's usually described. And you can kind of throw whatever you want in there. Okonomi just means like whatever you like. And that's partly why you could have so many different Okonomiyaki stores in the same building. Because they're all like using different ingredients or they've all got their own twist on what Okonomiyaki is. Yeah. Uh, Hiroshima Okonomiyaki differs from Osaka style in that it includes noodles. And it's kind of a bit more messy looking than the Osaka ones. Like in Osaka, they look a lot like a pancake sort of shape. But in Hiroshima, they can kind of just be a big pile of stuff. <laughs> and uh, it was like noodles and batter and whatever else all on the yeah, grill. Eggs, bacon, whatever. <laughs> but they're good. I like Hiroshima style a lot. So that was tasty. I went to Hiroshima's famous Japanese garden. I'm jealous of all these gardens you got to see. Shukken is the name of this garden, and it was really cool. There's this giant ginkgo tree there that was the only tree in the garden to survive the bombing. Oh, wow. In World War II. Yeah, really pretty place. They had a little tea house. I got some matcha and a little sweet treat with red bean paste to go with that. I walked by Hiroshima Castle, which is beautiful. Japanese castles in general are beautiful, but this one was pretty awesome. Yeah, I've heard it's one of the, one of the nice ones. Mm-hmm. The inside is a museum. As we talked about, many of the remaining castles these days are filled with museums. And the museum was really cool. I saw a bunch of katana, and we just recently did our swords episode. So it was really interesting to look at all the different parts of the katanas and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Of course, there are beautiful views of the city from the top of the castle. Very cool place. And I stuck around. I got there uh, when there was still a bit of daylight left. And I just hung around until nightfall because I could get some cool pictures with the sunset in the background. And then I could get some cool night pictures because the castle, if you ever go to Hiroshima, make sure to check out the castle after dark because they have these spotlights lighting it up. Especially, I mean, when I was there, we had all the fall colors in the trees right around the base of the castle. Just really pretty scene. So did you get like pictures of the castle during the daytime and then with like the sun setting behind it and then at night with like the spotlights on it? That's exactly what I did. Oh, that's awesome. I'm just flipping through the pictures right now of <laughs> exactly what you just described. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. The next day I went to a place called Okunoshima, also known as Rabbit Island. Ooh. And this is not too far from Hiroshima. I just had to take a train a little ways to this little town on the coast. I could take a little ferry, go to Rabbit Island, and as you can probably guess, there are tons of rabbits on this island. Like, they're everywhere, man. I get off the boat, I'm walking around, and I start to see little rabbits just popping out of bushes here and there. And a lot of them, like, as soon as you kind of make eye contact with them, 
They just sprint straight at you because they think you have food for them. <laughs> but if you go visit this place, make sure to bring food because I had read somewhere that they sold food at the port. You'd think they would. Yeah. They don't sell rabbit food anywhere on the island. Oh, wow. And maybe I was misled and I thought that they sold it on the island when they actually meant the port on the mainland. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But I don't think I saw any there either, so... Huh. Maybe stop at a grocery store, get some carrots or cabbage or whatever. Interesting. So you didn't get to lay down and pour rabbit food all over your body and let them swarm you. No, but I was okay with that. <laughs> and really, even if you don't have food, the rabbits obviously associate people with food. So they'll just run after you anyway. You don't need to like go chasing after the rabbits. And there are tons of them. But really, for me, the rabbits were actually the second most interesting thing about this island. Because in World War II... This island was a chemical weapons facility. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah, so this island and the, the area around there, the economy wasn't doing so hot. So they asked the government to build a factory there to try to bring some money to the area. Yeah. And the government's like, oh yeah, sure, okay, let's do that. We'll build a factory. And everybody was all happy because they didn't realize that this factory was going to be a place where they made all sorts of poison gas. And this facility took over like the entire island. They had buildings all over the place. And it's not a huge island, but I mean, for, for a factory, that's still pretty big. Right. And a lot of the people that worked there died or became very ill because, you know, the safety measures were not perfect. And uh, just really crazy, sad story. And, you know, it's always heavy to see that kind of stuff in person. You know, you can read in a textbook about all this crazy stuff that happened in World War II. But when you're standing there... And you're looking at these places where they kept these tanks of gallons and gallons of poisonous gas. Yeah, like that was poison created to kill humans. And it's very, very effective at it. Wow. Yeah. War, man. War is such a dumb thing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so they have a museum there that talks about the history of that part. It's a very sad museum. Then you come out and you're swarmed with little bunnies. Yeah, they help. It helped raise your spirits a little bit after that. But the museum was very interesting. If you go to the island, make sure to check that out. And, I mean, just walking around the island, there's all sorts of remnants of the factory. Even though when the U.S. came, they kind of tore it all down, and they brought in flamethrowers, actually, to make sure all the poison gas was neutralized. And you can still see places where the flames turned the bricks black and stuff. Wow. Pretty, pretty crazy. Wow. So the rabbits... I've seen rumors that the rabbits are from the chemical weapons factory, like they were doing testing on the rabbits, and when it got shut down, they just let the rabbits go free. That's not true, as far as I can tell. It sounds like they did do animal testing there, don't get me wrong. They did test the poison gas on rabbits and other animals, but the rabbits are purely for tourism, basically. <laughs> when they turned the island into a park, after the war, they brought in rabbits and they bred like crazy, like right. rabbits. Yeah, if you keep feeding them, there'll be a bunch of rabbits before long. Yeah. The rabbits are super cute. And I got a ton of rabbit pictures and videos and it was pretty fun. What did I do after that? I went back to Hiroshima and I did some stuff and I went to sleep. The next day, I went to Miyajima. You know what Miyajima is, right? What'd you do at Miyajima? All the stuff that people do at Miyajima, <laughs> for the most part. So Miyajima is this island kind of off the coast by Hiroshima. It's a very popular tourist place. It was super, super busy. Lots of people. And uh, this is one of the 
multiple places in Japan where you can hang out with friendly deer. They just walk around and you can feed them and whatever. Actually, let me take that back. In Miyajima, I believe you're not supposed to feed the deer anymore. In Nara, I think you can still buy crackers to feed the deer, but in Miyajima, you're not supposed to. Okay. We bought crackers in Nara. Yeah. It was like three years ago or whatever. Yeah. So Miyajima is most known for this shrine there that has a giant tori gate out in the water. Yeah, that's so famous. So many pictures of that thing. Yeah. And when the tide is low, you can walk out to it. And when the tide is high, you can get really cool pictures of it looking like it's floating on the water. Was the tide low or high when you were there? When I was there, the tide was very low. But unfortunately, that gate is under construction. Oh, it was like surrounded by scaffolding. Yes, you couldn't Ah. see anything at all. It was pretty sad. There's a lot of other cool stuff to see in Miyajima. I mean, that that shrine itself is pretty cool. Um, Yeah, it's just the Tori Gate out in the water, like the whole shrine still on the land. Yeah, the shrine is kind of, so it is also basically floating on the water, and it's kind of facing out at that gate. And really pretty, like the red pillars and yeah, that shrine architecture sort of thing. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of cool shopping streets, touristy little shops all over the place in Miyajima. I went to this museum. It talks about the history of the island. That was really interesting. They also have a beautiful Japanese garden there. I went what? to a bunch of temples and shrines. It's like your fifth Japanese garden already. They're everywhere, man. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of cool temples and shrines. I walked up to this restaurant. I forget what it was called, like Outlook Restaurant or something like that. And it's on the top of this big hill and you can see out over the bay, really pretty views. And I practiced my Japanese and talked to the owner a bit. She was very nice. And I believe she ran the place with her husband, who was also very nice. They were checking out my Japanese jeans. We talked about that a little bit. Ah. I went to Momijidani Park. So Momiji is a Japanese maple and the leaves on the Japanese maple turn this amazing bright red color in the fall. Super pretty. And this park is just packed with them and also packed with people taking pictures of those leaves, at least when I was there. And I should mention, this was on a weekend that I was there. It was a Sunday. So it's going to be busier than most days, obviously. And if you're planning a trip to Japan, that's something to watch out for. Weekends, those touristy places are going to be real busy, but it was still fun. They had a five-story pagoda that I checked out. Lots of temples and shrines and pretty things. Like Miyajima's just covered in interesting stuff. You could just walk around a couple days probably and not get bored just discovering new things. Okay, I got back to Hiroshima. I went to a place called Tenko Tempura. Best tempura I've ever had in my life. What kind of tempura? A bunch of stuff. So this is like, uh, you know how at a high-end sushi bar, you sit right in front of the sushi chef and he puts together the sushi for you and sets each piece in front of you. Yeah. And then you eat that piece and then he makes another one and sets it in front of you. Are you saying you got this tempura like straight out of the fryer, like right on your plate? Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. So they had all sorts of stuff, different types of tempura I'd never had. So the first piece they gave me was like the front half of a shrimp, like just the legs and the, you know, the little... Crawly yeah, the front part half. of it. Yeah. And it was awesome. It was so crispy, light, and he didn't like drown stuff in the batter. You know what I mean? I feel like in the US, if you get tempura somewhere, you can almost barely taste what's inside because there's just so much batter. Mm. The batter that they used at this restaurant was so light and crisp that you really still got the full flavor of what's inside it. Uh, they gave me 
shrimp tempura, of course, the classic. Some different types of fish. There's one where he took a shiitake mushroom and then had chopped shrimp that he packed into the cup of the mushroom. You know Interesting. What I mean? yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was good. Had some ginkgo nut, some lotus root tempura, this little mini onion, some eel. Uh, very good. If you're in Japan, check out like a real tempura place that only does tempura. Like that's their specialty. Go check that out. You will not be disappointed. That night, I also went back to Hiroshima Castle with a tripod to get a bunch <laughs> more pictures after dark. And I nice. think I got some pretty awesome ones. I'll have to show you once they're edited. Nice. Yep. The next day, I took a bunch of trains to get to Koyasan. We talked about Koyasan in the Kansai episode, I believe. Koyasan is a little temple town on top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere, not too far from Osaka but far enough that it's still kind of the middle of nowhere. And it was awesome. There are tons of temples. You can walk around all day just looking at these beautiful old buildings. So one of the most notable things about Koyasan is that you can stay at a temple, which I did. I stayed at a temple called Dianin, and it was awesome. It's traditional Japanese style with the sliding wooden and paper doors. They gave us a very traditional vegetarian dinner and breakfast the next morning. My bedroom was overlooking the Japanese garden in the courtyard of their temple. Wow. Yeah, it was really pretty. And it was also not far from another very famous place in Koyasan called Okunoin, which is a huge cemetery, the largest cemetery in all of Japan, over 200,000. I saw maybe even as many as 300,000 people buried there. That is a massive cemetery. Yeah, it's enormous. There's a main path that kind of goes through it. And in either direction, you just look off into the distance and you can't see where the tombstones end. Wow. It's huge. And then at the very back, if you follow that path all the way to the end, you find one of the most sacred places in all of Japan where the founder of the Shingon sect of Buddhism, supposedly he, he didn't die. He is sitting there in his mausoleum meditating for eternity. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) It's a beautiful cemetery. There are all these uh, little stone lanterns that they light up. I got a ton of pictures during the day. And then actually the next morning, so it was raining that night, so I didn't want to walk back out in the rain. But the next morning at like 5 a.m. before the sun came up, I went out there and walked through the cemetery again to get more pictures. Creepy. I like it. So uh, at the temple, did you get your own room? I did. Shared bathroom though. Okay. And actually, so at the end of the hall, there was a bathroom with just toilets yeah. and a sink yeah. and stuff. But the showers were on the first floor, and you couldn't use the showers in the morning. You could only use the showers at night between a certain time. Yeah, it's kind of the Japanese way. Shower before bed rather than shower in the morning. Perhaps. So that was fun. This is a fun place. You should visit it. I would almost suggest staying there more than one night, actually, because it's kind of hard to get there. Like, it takes a while. And there's a lot to see. I didn't get to see everything that I wanted to see there. So you could probably spend a couple nights there. Maybe even stay at different temples each night. That would be interesting. Anyway, next day, well, like I said, in the morning, I got up early to walk through the cemetery. After that, I went to the prayer ceremony at the temple. So basically, I sat there for like an hour while the monks chanted and burned incense. 
and they invited you to go up to the altar and pray if you wanted to. I did not. But that was interesting. And then I got on a train to go back to Tokyo. And I checked out Roppongi for the first time ever. Ah, first time in Roppongi. Yeah. And they had all these lights set up for Christmas. And there's this one little like bridge that you can get on where there's a beautiful view of Tokyo Tower. You can look like down the street and the street is lined with trees with all these Christmas lights. And then you just see Tokyo Tower out in the distance. Wow, that's awesome. It was pretty cool. So I'm sure you bought a bunch of stuff in Roppongi, right? Oh yeah, all the thousand dollar <laughs> pairs of shoes and stuff. Yeah, it's hard to imagine how high-end Roppongi is until you get there and like every store you're like, yep, can't afford anything here. Yeah, exactly. You told me that it was high-end and I thought I'd been to high-end malls before. I had no idea. Okay, Roppongi Hills is this big mall tower sort of thing. Yeah. In Roppongi. And I saw all these brands there that I had heard of before and I'd looked at their websites just because it's hilarious to me to look at these websites where like everything is over a thousand dollars, like even really basic small stuff is just insanely expensive. This mall is just filled with those stores and like nothing else. Yeah. Even the restaurants there, you're going to be spending at least 60 bucks a plate probably at the restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. And you go have dinner for two and it's probably going to be like pushing 200 bucks. Yeah. So Roppongi is a fun place to walk around and look at things. Yeah, I guess that's how they get the money to like do all the cool Christmas lights and the architecture and the displays and everything. Yeah, yeah. So there's a garden at Roppongi Hills that they had all lit up. That was pretty impressive. I walked around there. But I actually ended up going back to Abisu for dinner, which is another uh, part of Tokyo. And I went to a place that I had had my eye on because they specialize in cheese ramen which is unusual. You don't usually see a lot of cheese in any kind of Japanese food. You don't see a lot much. of cheese soups around, I'd suppose. In Japan, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, th- I mean, this is like a bowl of ramen with a giant pile of cheese on top. I posted a picture of this on Instagram. You can check that out. But that stuff was amazing. And you know I love cheese, Paul. Oh, yeah. So when I highly you, recommend When you that. say, give me the quarter pounder, you're talking about cheese, <laughs> not, not the patty. Yeah. Uh, I also, after that, I stopped by that Matsuri that was happening not far from my hotel. Oh, that looks so cool with all the lanterns, like the thousand lanterns or whatever. It was very cool. But man, if I was going to go to another Matsuri, I would go to one that was not in the middle of Tokyo because it was packed, literally like a mosh pit. Like I'm trying to get (laughs) to the temple and it's like a block from the main road. It probably took me over 10 minutes to get in there just because of how slowly people were moving, you know? And each side of the streets, in any direction from this temple, and even on the main streets, there are those food stalls all over the place. Not not the Atai like I was talking about in Fukuoka, but, you know, the ones where you just buy something and walk away with it. Festival food. Yeah. Tons of that kind of Anywhere stuff. you got that many people packed, there will be food. Yeah. So I got some yakisoba, fried noodles from the Matsuri. Nice. I just had to try some sort of Matsuri food, you know? Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed the atmosphere for a little bit. It was very festive. But like I said, tons of people, and that's not really my scene. So I didn't I didn't try to make it all the way up to the altar to pray at the shrine, because yeah. a lot of people were headed towards there, and man. Yeah, it was probably a huge line. forever. That looked really beautiful, though. Yeah, it was cool. The next day... I went to a place called 
Inokashira Park. And if you're a fan of a game called Persona 5, you've definitely heard of this place. It's a big park in Tokyo. Very pretty. Big lake. Uh, You can rent these swan boats to go paddle around in. Nice place. A good date place, I've heard. Like, couples go walking. Yeah, you know, paddle a swan boat around. That's romantic. Yeah, Yeah, that's obviously a couple thing. Somebody doesn't rent a swan boat by themselves. You didn't? What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't have time because I was headed to the Ghibli Museum. Oh, how was that? It was cool. So for those of you that don't know, Studio Ghibli is, you could think of it as Japan's Disney, almost. They made a lot of animated children's movies that were very famous. I mean, basically everybody in Japan knows what Studio Ghibli is. And a lot of people around the world also know what Studio Ghibli is. It's, yeah. it's very popular. Yeah. I saw a lot of foreign tourists there, for sure. The museum itself looks pretty cool. It's a whimsical sort of place. It was extremely busy. And this wasn't even on a weekend, man. This was on a weekday. And I got there right when they opened at 10 o'clock. And I got in, and they have a special little short film sort of thing that they play that you can't see anywhere else. Like, they only play it at the museum. And that was really cool. I really liked that, actually. And it didn't even have any dialogue. They know that so many foreign tourists come to this museum that it's purely visual, and they just have, like, a music soundtrack, you know? That's awesome. It was, the Ghibli films tend to be more visual than dialogue anyways, I think. Not that there's not important dialogue, but... Yeah, depending on the movie. Honestly, their movies are a surprisingly wide range of themes and that's true. stuff. Like Grave of the Fireflies is very different from My Neighbor Totoro. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, if you're a fan of Studio Ghibli, definitely check it out. That night, I actually went back to Roppongi because the night that I was there before... I couldn't go to the Mori Art Museum because it was closed. And I had this ticket that I got online that got me into the Art Museum, City View, and the Sky Deck. And I'll tell you what those things are. So I went back this night so that I could do all three of those things. First, I went up to City View, which is go to the top of the Mori Tower, which is at Roppongi Hills. It's like the, this really big skyscraper. You go to like the 52nd floor, I want to say. And the elevator's super fast. You're just like shooting up there. Ears are popping and everything. And you get to this floor and you can walk around the entire outside of the building and just look out these huge windows. The walls are all window. Yeah. You can see out over the city. That's so cool in Tokyo because it goes in every direction for so long. Yeah, it's amazing. I've been to places where you can get really high up and see views like that. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's cool, but it never really hit me that hard. But Tokyo is just, it's a beautiful city. It's so enormous and so many lights. Like I was up there after dark. Yeah. So just looking out over the city lights and seeing how far they go, it just kind of hits you like, just imagine all the people living here, you know? Yeah. And we've mentioned many times before that like a third of the population of Japan lives in the greater Tokyo area. So, so many people, so much stuff going on every second, you know, all these lives intersecting yeah, different ways. It's stuff. wild, it's, man. Yeah. So that's City View. But then there's the Sky Deck. You can go up to the very top of the building and you're walking around this helicopter pad and you can look out without any glass between you and the city. That was fun. Wow. And wow. then I went back down into the building and went to the Mori Art Museum and they have an exhibition right now about future cities. They were talking about how cities are going to look once we've further destroyed the planet and we can no longer live. (laughs) 
That sounds like a cool display. Yeah, they had like cities that were floating on the ocean once uh, climate change gets the better of us and we need to start making communities on water. Yeah. They had ones, <laughs> ideas for how to make cities in the middle of deserts and stuff. Pretty interesting. Wow. That sounds oh, cool. I also, there was something I wanted to mention I thought you would be interested in unusual and kind of cool. So at that city view place where you could look out at the city, yeah, they had a cafe. And it was closed when I was there, but the concept of this cafe I thought was really cool. So they have these like gumball looking machines, gumball machine. Yeah. I should have said that gumball machine looking things. Okay. Should I confuse you? No, I think I'm following. Okay. And inside of these, instead of gumballs, they have little capsules, like gachapon capsules, right? Yeah. But inside each capsule, there's some coffee beans. So they have rows of these machines spitting out different types of coffee beans so you can make your own blend basically you like go buy different types of coffee beans you mix them all together and then you can brew your own coffee there so it's like a gachapon coffee cafe that's really interesting yeah i was sad that it was closed because that would have been fun that looked cool that night on the way back to my hotel i saw some people driving around on go-karts dressed as little Nintendo characters. <laughs> nice. That's, That's the thing that Kart. you can do. If you're in Tokyo, you can uh, rent these go-karts and go drive around the city dressed as Mario Kart characters. Yeah, that looks fun. Yeah. Um, I went to bed. Next day, I went to Team Lab Borderless. You've heard of the Team Lab stuff? No. No? Really? No. Okay. Team Lab, the easiest way to describe it is it's a digital art museum. But it's so much more. It's not a museum in the sense that like you're walking around looking at things on walls. It's like an experience. The art is everything. Every inch of the walls and the floor and the ceiling is moving digital art. Like stuff is being projected everywhere and it's constantly changing. And things will like move from one room to another. So a room, even if you just stayed in one room and looked around, it's constantly changing. You're seeing new things. Or like if you see something you like, you can follow it and it'll just crawl along the walls into different rooms and stuff. That sounds like nothing I've ever seen before, but it sounds so cool. Yeah, that's what Team Lab is, man. It is totally a new concept. And there are a couple of them in Tokyo. There's Team Lab Borderless, this one that I went to. There's also one called Team Lab Planets, which is not far away. They're both in Odaiba and... There's a lot of overlap from what I've heard in the content of the two places, but there are some major differences too. So it's not just you're walking through and you're seeing all this stuff on the walls and it's crazy. There are interactive places too, or like different rooms that you wander into. And there's no map. There's no path that you're supposed to take through this museum. You just wander around and you discover things. This is really fun. Like having this explorative adventure inside this massive building. I bet. Let's say you find a section of the wall that's not a wall at all. It's a curtain, and you go through the curtain, and all of a sudden you're in this new room. All the walls and the ceiling are covered in these multicolored lights controlled by motors, and they point in different directions, and there's like this huge light show going on and stuff. Wow. And then you walk out of there, and you wander down the hall, and you find this room that's just mirrors. All the walls are mirrors, and the entire room is filled with these lanterns hanging from the ceiling. But like everything's interactive. The lanterns aren't just hanging there. If you get close enough to one, it'll change color. And then that color will like spread to all the lanterns around it. Everything 
is breathing and moving. And it's like this whole space is alive. Wow. I feel like if I went there, it'd be like three hours later, I'm just like still staring off at the yeah. same room. You can spend a lot of time there. And wow. I have a ton of pictures and it's really amazing. And I highly recommend it to anyone that has a chance to go. Okay. <laughs> Where'd you head after that? So I hung out on Odaiba for a while. I went to Diver City. I saw the Gundam in front of Diver City. So nice. what is a Gundam? Can you tell our listeners what a Gundam is? A uh, giant robot from uh, anime. Yeah. And this one is life size, which means it's, I don't know, 30 feet tall. Yeah, it's big. It's big. And I was there in 2014 and I saw a Gundam there, but that one is gone and they have replaced it with a new Gundam, which is apparently a unicorn Gundam. It's got like a single horn coming out of his forehead, <laughs> but it doesn't just stand there. At certain times of the day, it activates Oh no! and it morphs into a different form and that horn on its head splits into these two different horns. What? And I saw that happen and that was pretty cool. That's awesome. You know, Daiba, check that out. It's a real Mac. Yeah. I ate some delicious food. I walked around Odaiba. I went to Akihabara that night. Ooh. Um, I went to my keyboard store. I found some cool stuff there. Talked about that before. I went to a place called One Kara, which is like one person karaoke. So you might have heard, of, well, you've probably heard of karaoke. I didn't know they had that. Yeah. It's like a really small room. Yeah. It's a little cubicle sort of thing. Like in the US, we have karaoke bars. And sometimes you find the Asian style karaoke rooms where it's like a, a small group of people you can get together and do karaoke. But in Tokyo, there's this chain now. They have these little rooms where you can do solo karaoke and it's, you can get good sound quality. They have really nice mics in there and you can even get different options for headphones. So you can be really picky about your sound quality and stuff. You can even record yourself. Oh, I've heard. I didn't do that. But, interesting. Uh, and their karaoke tracks are pretty decent, I gotta so say. You can really like practice singing. Mm -hmm. um, there's a place in Akihabara, a little vending machine corner. I don't think we mentioned this in the vending machine episode, but they sell all sorts of weird stuff there. So I had to check that out. They had yakitori in a can. Oh. Yakitori is, uh, I guess I mentioned that before and I didn't say what it is. It's uh, like a meat skewer. Yeah. Normally, you know, they cook it over charcoal and they give it to you and you eat it. So I don't know how it would work in a can. Did it come warm in a can? You didn't get it. Did I didn't buy it. Okay. I was really tempted to, but I'm like, <laughs> I can't imagine that being good. And I, I don't gonna, know if my curiosity is enough. I was going to ask you, like, how much did you use vending machines on your trip? All the time. Was it like every day you were getting like a couple drinks out of vending machines? Yeah, I was getting drinks all the time because every time I saw something I hadn't had before, I wanted to try it, you know? Uh, probably some ice cream too. No, didn't get oh, any ice cream out of vending machines. Okay. But yeah, these vending machines are selling all sorts of weird stuff. Remember we talked about rhinoceros beetles? Yeah. They didn't have uh, live ones, but they had these life-size toy rhinoceros beetles that they were selling. Oh, wow. They had balls. All sorts of just like weird little containers of toys and stuff. They had one full of balloons. I don't know. All sorts of weird stuff. Basically, across the street from there, I stopped at Hitachino Brewing Lab. Oh, that sounds nice. Hitachino is a Japanese beer company. They make a lot of craft beer. Stuff different from like the normal light lager, you know, most it's Japanese beer companies make. in Japan. Yeah. If you want an IPA or something, you need to go to Hitachino or that's awesome. smaller you get some craft samples. breweries. 
Yeah, I got some good stuff there. That was fun. Nice. The next day, I had been planning on going to Nico, but a typhoon hit Japan, and it was going to be raining pretty much nonstop for like the next week. Wow. And my plan for Nico was basically walk around outside all day, so I decided to stick around in Tokyo. And actually, even though I'm, I'm an obsessive planner, I screwed up because I just tried to pack too much stuff into my itinerary and I missed some details and I accidentally uh, scheduled my Nico day outside when my JR pass was going to be usable. So uh, I would have had to pay full price to get to Nico. So it was kind yeah, of a that's tough. blessing in disguise that it ended up raining that day anyway. I didn't feel bad just staying in Tokyo, you know? Yeah, there's plenty to do in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I basically spent that day and the next half day before my flight back just wandering around malls and arcades and getting souvenirs, gifts for people and stuff. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, sounds like you had a fabulous vacation, Jason. I always do in Japan. There's no way to not have an awesome time in Japan, in my opinion. I'm already like trying to plan my next trip because I'm excited to go. When do you want to go? Next, uh, next fall. Fall? Next, I thought uh, we had to go in spring to see the cherry blossoms and climb Mount Fuji. Okay, well, I'm not going to be ready this spring. Me either. A year from this spring. Okay. We'll go climb Mount Fuji. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. So next week, we're going to be talking about travel tips. Yeah, just a few things that popped into my head while I was on my trip that I thought might be useful if you're planning to head to Japan. Yeah, we tried covering a lot of things in the first couple episodes of our podcast, but it's a little hard to do because like, we hadn't traveled in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, Having just done that, a bunch of new fresh stuff popped into your head, so we've got some good, uh, good tips for you. Yep. So if you want to see some cool pictures from my trip, check out our Instagram, SJP Podcast, putting new pictures up every single day. Yeah. Except uh, once in a while when I, when I decide to take a 24-hour break. <laughs> it's not every single day, but most days. Yeah, lots of content. Yeah. So I guess that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.